Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. And it is good to be amongst to be amongst friends. And I want to get uh, right into the Word of God. And I hope that you brought your Bibles with you. I trust that you have. Nowadays, we all have a Bible on our phone or something like that, right? So I want you to take your Word, whether you have the physical book or some electronic version of it and turn to John, the fourth chapter. And in the spirit of Women's History Month, we're going to be looking at John, the fourth chapter and starting at verse 13. I normally read from the English Standard Version of the Bible. You can follow along in whatever version that you have. English Standard Version, John chapter four and verse 13. And the Bible says that Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The title of our message today is, When a Woman Meets the Man of Her Dreams. When a woman meets the man of her dreams. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you right now. And we ask that you would speak to us. We need a word from on high. We've heard from the news and everything on social media and from the people around us. But Lord, we want to hear from you. So speak to us from heaven on high. And even though my voice is heard, may we today hear your words from heaven to touch us, convict and convert us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What do women look for when they're looking for the man of their dreams? Do women look for what we used to say was tall, dark, and handsome? And what is handsome anyway? I think looks are relatives, right? Are relative, right? Perhaps women look for men with confidence, a man who's comfortable being who he is and believes in himself. He's not arrogant or cocky, but he has a positive energy about him. Perhaps women look for a man that has a certain amount of trustworthiness. He's dependable and he's truthful and he's safe for the woman to be around and to be herself without judgment. Perhaps women are looking for men with integrity, a man who's honorable and fair and ethical and treats people right. Maybe a woman is looking for a man of compassion when she's looking for the man of her dreams, a man who's sympathetic and empathetic, a man who a woman can open up to about the simplest things and the deepest things in her life and talk to him about her hopes and her dreams. Maybe women are looking for men with emotional availability, men who can be emotionally honest with themselves and express themselves and and have open and honest conversations about what they're going through. Uh, Maybe they're looking for men with respect, a man who respects her and recognizes her values and never takes her for granted. Perhaps when a woman is looking for the man of her dreams, Maybe she's looking for a man who has a certain sense of humor and a man who can be a little bit silly and joke around a little bit and not take himself too seriously and overall make her smile on a regular basis. 
Maybe a woman is looking for a man that has a certain amount of maturity, that, uh, that he has ability to handle big boy problems in being an adult when it's time to be an adult. Uh, life experience has taught me that, generally speaking, women look for these traits and others when they're looking for a man of their dreams. No doubt this woman at the well had been looking for the man of her dreams. But the problem was in this society with Jews and Samaritans that this particular woman was undervalued in the eyes of Jews. They looked at Samaritan women and they deemed Samaritan women as unclean and they wouldn't even talk to Samaritan women. They, they didn't want anything to do with them. And, and many times uh, women in those days were, were married off and they didn't have a choice of who their marital partner was going to be. And, and so they went from their father's house into some other man's house. And if the man had enough money, he had other wives. And so they didn't have a lot of value, and, 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 and when they got married, a man can divorce his wife at the drop of a dime. So many things were stacked up against this particular woman looking for the man of her dreams. And when so many things are stacked up against you, it can leave you with a hole in your soul, which can cause you to look for fulfillment in all the wrong places. And some of us have looked up sometimes and found ourselves in some place that we never thought we'd be. And we knew that when we looked at everything that was going on around us is because we were trying to find a certain amount of fulfillment in all the wrong places because there was some emptiness inside of us somewhere. But listen to me, there's three things that I want you to remember today and then I'll be done. When we're talking about a woman meeting the man of her dreams, the scripture that we're looking at today tells us that the first thing that a woman finds when she's looking for a man of her dreams is that she finds a man of comparable experience. Listen to me now. She finds a man of comparable experience. In the fourth chapter of John, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Judea to Galilee, and the quickest way there was to go through Samaria. Uh, but there was an issue, as I talked about. Um, Samaritans lived in Samaria, and the Jews didn't get along with the Samaritans. And this was an issue because they hated each other. And it goes back to a long history. And even though the branches of their lineage sprouted from the same trunk in their family tree, they despised one another, each thinking themselves better than the other. But the Jews took their hatred of the Samaritans to a whole nother level. Their treatment of Samaritans can be likened to the treatment of blacks from whites during slavery and even during Jim Crow, which is documented in our nation's history. It came to a head in the 60s where there was separate but inferior water fountains and bathrooms and schools and, and all these things were taking place. In Jesus' day, Jews refused to associate with Samaritans in similar fashion. They had this discrimination, and Jews considered Samaritan food to be unclean. They considered the vessels and utensils used for meals by Samaritans to be unclean. Even Samaritan women themselves were considered to be unclean. Therefore, Jews refused to associate with Samaritans, and as far as possible, they avoided all social contact with them. But then here comes Jesus. And he knows about the social customs and the bitter animosity that's been fueled by years of unjust hate. But, but Jesus is not confined by society's unwritten rules. And when it's time to travel, he goes right through Samaria. And look at verse 5 and verse 6 of John chapter 4. 
The Bible says there, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob that had given to his son Joseph. It says in verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The Bible tells us that Jesus got tired. Let me spend a little bit of time with that. This is significant uh, to point out because it's encouraging to know that you and I have a Savior who has experienced life from our point of view. Listen to me, listen to me. Instead of looking at our lives from the outside in, he's been in our situation. Do you hear me? See, when trouble comes our way and you feel that life has bottomed out and you're scraping yourself up from the ground and trying to gain the courage to look up, it's hard to be comforted by somebody who's never, ever been in your situation. If you've ever lost a child, it's hard to be told by someone who's never had children that it's going to be all right. When your marriage is frayed and your bond is as strong as diluted glue, it's hard to be told by someone who's never even been married to hang in there. When you're literally down to your last dollar, which you only scraped together from the nickels and dimes you found in your couch or in the ashtray of your car, it's hard to be told by somebody who's never had financial troubles that it's going to be all right. And when you're weak and tired, when you're parched and thirsty, it's comforting to know that we have a Savior who has experienced life from our angle. You're thirsty? Well, he had to stop by the well because his mouth was dry. You're hungry? Well, he had to go 40 days without food. You're homeless? Well, foxes had holes and birds had nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. You're frustrated. Well, he tried to explain who he was to his disciples over and over again. And finally, he had to cry out, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Your friends have let you down. Well, he's been sold out by one of his closest confidants and denied by someone who said that he loved him. You've been rejected by society in general. Well, when given the choice between a known criminal and Christ, the one who has healed many and raised up the dead and multiplied food for many, the crowd chose Barabbas over Jesus. Is your body riddled with pain? Well, he's had nails driven through his hands. He's had thorns placed in his head, and he's had a spear thrust through his side. Jesus knows what it is to experience physical pain. Are you caught up in sin and falling for the same temptations? Well, he's been tempted on all points yet, as we are yet without sin. It's reassuring to know that we have a Savior who knows what we're going through. And so, so when we cry out in pain, Jesus knows. When tears fall from our eyes, Jesus knows. When we're weak and exhausted, Jesus knows. And to all of us dealing with the stressful and uncertain situations of life, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, I can sympathize and give you comfort because I know exactly what it is that you are going through. Jesus has had like experiences as you and I. And when a woman finds the man of her dreams, the first thing she finds is a man of comparable experience. The second thing that she finds is a man of caring expressions. So now Jesus is at the well and he's resting. He's probably got his feet kicked up on a rock and leaning back. He's been traveling and he's tired and thirsty. And John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, 
And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, this could have been an awkward situation given the hostility amongst the Jews and Samaritans. It could potentially be even more awkward given the connotation of the context. Listen, this is what I mean by that. Here was a woman who was at the well at the hottest hour of the day. Summertime gets pretty hot around here, and most of us are inside at the hottest hour of the day. Am I right? Uh, uh, anytime somebody came to the hottest hour of the day, to the well at the hottest hour of the day, it's because no one else wanted to be around them, and they didn't want to be around anybody else. No one really liked this woman because of her history. In ancient times, women went to the well in groups, either in the morning or in the evening when the temperature wasn't so hot. Going to the well was a social function, and this particular woman was not accepted in most social circles, and the reason was probably due to her multitude of relationships. And here comes Jesus initiating a conversation with a woman who in this particular town is known to be rather loose. Jewish teachers warned against talking much with women in general, and they would have especially avoided Samaritan women who they declared were unclean from birth. Furthermore, there was ancient accounts that show that even asking water of a woman could be interpreted as flirting with her. Did you hear what I said? Especially if she had come to the well alone due to her reputation for looseness. Just like in our day, you can probably find a woman in the club, if, you, if that's where you want a woman to be found. You could probably find a woman at the well in those days. You don't believe me? Well, Jacob and Isaac both found their wives at wells. And it was this type of situation that religious people tried to avoid so that their intentions wouldn't be misunderstood. But Jesus initiates the conversation with this woman, feeling the ideas that onlookers might have regarding his reason for being at the well. Why is this man hanging around the well waiting for women to come? And as soon as this particular woman, who's known to be loose in our particular town, he asked her for a drink of water. What are this man's intentions with this woman? It's not out of the question to believe that onlookers might have thought that Jesus was trying to get his mac on a spit game or, or shoot his shot with this woman at the well. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that, that this was the furthest thing from Christ's mind. Jesus was not at the well to shoot his shot, but to give her a shot, a shot at salvation. And I'm so glad that our Savior isn't concerned with others' ideas about us and he's willing to meet us where we are. I'm so glad that Jesus takes the time to reach out to us by knocking at the door of our heart. And when we're in emotional solitude, Jesus shows up to help us. And when we feel abandoned by others, Jesus shows up to aid us. And when we're at the well of life all alone due to our promiscuous activities, when no one else desires to be associated with us, Jesus shows up to give us a shot, a shot at forgiveness and a shot at salvation. I'm so glad that we serve a God who doesn't care, but cares at the same time. See, he doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've gone through, but he does care about you. He cares about your future, and he cares about taking you from where you are to where he wants you to be. Thank you, Jesus, for showing up at the well of my life to help me be what you want me to be. As the song says, and you know this song, when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Thank you. 
you, Jesus, the master of the sea, for showing up and hearing my despairing cry. And from the waters he lifted me, and now safe am I. Thank you, Jesus, for not caring about the mess, but caring about me. When a woman finds the man of her dreams, she finds a man of comparable experience, and she finds a man of caring expressions. And she finds a man of uncommon extroversion. What do you mean by that extroversion, preacher? Well, first of all, don't confuse extroversion with being an extrovert. An extrovert has a measure of extroversion, but extroversion is a thing all by itself. A simple definition for extroversion is the state of being concerned with people or things instead of being concerned about oneself. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. Uh, uh, the definition for extroversion is the state of being concerned with people or things instead of being concerned about one's self. A man of uncommon extroversion is able to show a woman that he unequivocally cares for her and here in this passage, Jesus shows the woman at the well that indeed he is concerned about her. In fact, he already knows everything about her. When Jesus asks this woman for water, she opens up her mouth and responds to him in verse 9 by saying, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? See, this, this whole cultural friction was the first thing on her mind. She didn't know that Jesus was Jesus the Christ, but she did know that he was a Jew. How is it that you, a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? Here's this man at the well at the hottest hour of the day. Most of us would get somebody a drink. But she wants to know, how are you able to get past this cultural friction? And, and, and this woman was stunned that Jesus would speak to her. She was stunned that he would even ask her for anything because she knew that Jewish men thought she and everything she touched was unclean. Flooding to the front of her mind were all these societal rules of engagement between Jews and Samaritans. But Jesus' response takes the conversation from the social ramifications of their encounter to the spiritual when he says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Come on now, come on now, come on now. Listen to this. I'm not suggesting that Jesus was trying to pick this woman up. We know that he wasn't. But I'm sure that she had heard all sorts of pickup lines in her life. And how's a man going to come to me talking about I'll give you water that you'll never have to thirst again? See, see, she's thinking, hey, you don't even have nothing to draw water with. Talking about if you knew who I was, I'm going to give you some living water. Who are you supposed to be? Are you supposed to be greater than our father Jacob? Have mercy. Greater than our father Jacob. See, Samaritans look up to Jacob as the father of their nation. He was one of the most important figures in their history. He was their Martin Luther King Jr. And, and I'm, you know, if you go through a, a black community in the United States, there's a Martin Luther King Drive or Avenue or street of some kind. And I can imagine in, in Samaria, whatever town you went through, there was a Jacob Boulevard or Avenue or something like that. That's how important he was in their society. This woman, uh, uh, to this woman, Jesus was claiming to do something greater than what Jacob had done for Samaritans. Jacob gave them water that they might live. Jesus is here claiming to give her water that she might never die. 
Then Jesus says something that's really over the top, and I'm sure this woman had been used to hearing all these types of men boast about what they can do. I'm sure she's heard a man say, woman, you don't want to mess with me because I'll put it on you something fierce. She probably heard a man say, once you get a taste of this brother, you'll never want another. She's probably heard a man say to her, I'm a lover that can't be denied because I keep all the ladies satisfied. Uh, she was used to hearing men boast about what they can do. And here is Jesus saying in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give them will become in him a mountain, a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. Like, I ain't never heard a line like that before. Lord have mercy. And I don't know if the woman immediately understood that Jesus was speaking in a spiritual context or if she was just flattered because she heard a line that she'd never heard before. But she cries out to Jesus in that moment and she says, give me this water so that I'll never thirst and so that I don't have to come here to draw. This woman had been through many trying situations in life and I'm sure that she searched all over for something to quench her innermost desires. But time and time again she had to cry out, I can't get no satisfaction. And at one of the most crucial times of her life Jesus stands before her offering her something that no other man in her life was ever able to offer her before and she says give me this water she was thirsty for something different thirsty for something better than what she'd been used to and you and I are just the same no matter how much we acquire in life we still want more we always want something different, something better, something that will top everything off. We seek for a rush and for a high and for a thrill, something that will satisfy us just a little bit longer next time. No matter how much we get, no matter how much we acquire, we have to admit that nothing brings lasting satisfaction. So the woman says, give me this water. Jesus says, go get your husband. Uh-oh. Now, understand her answer in the context of a man flirting with a woman at the well. And she said, well, I ain't got no husband. And Jesus said, ha, 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 that's just what I wanted to get at. She had had five husbands. And the man she's with right now, number six, is not her husband. How many men does it take to satisfy a woman? I don't know how old she was, but whatever age she was at this point in her life, five husbands was a lot. See, men would have multiple wives at the same time, but you'd never heard of a woman having multiple husbands at the same time. So these men had to come one after the next. I don't care how old you are, five husbands is a lot. I can only imagine how she ended up with five husbands. Humor me. Perhaps as a young lady, in accordance with the traditions of her day, her parents had arranged for her marriage to one of the promising young lads from the nearby town. And after a few days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and the stress of learning to live with a stranger shattered her dreams and fantasies of marriage. Being young and lacking the skills necessary to work it out, she and the husband of her youth parted ways, and she said to herself, I just can't get no satisfaction. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps she was mourning the breakup of her marriage, her self-esteem was at an all-time low and needing to feel loved by someone she fell for the first smooth talker that came along. And after a short period of dating, the smooth talker convinced her that marriage was a prescription for their love. And, but after marriage, the smooth talker's words became harsh and critical. And instead of making her feel like a special woman, the words that came from his mouth now demeaned and humiliated her. 
When she was finally fed up with his insults and the verbal abuse, she drew up the papers and forced his signature and fled back to her parents' house. And with tears streaming down her face, she said, I just can't get no satisfaction. Maybe, maybe, maybe still with a longing in her heart to love and be loved, she declared to herself that she was going to meet that special someone, that Mr. Right. He was out there, that man that completed her. She was going to find him. And one day when it wasn't on her mind, she looked up and there he was, the man of her dreams. He was tall and chiseled and, and strong. And when he opened up his mouth, he had her at hello. But when they tried to converse, they had nothing in common. When bills needed to be paid, they had to borrow money from her parents. When the fridge was empty, she was the one doing odd jobs to fill it. When the rent needed to be paid, she was the one working up, waking up early in the morning to find work. And when she confronted him about it, he said, baby, you know I'm trying. It's hard out here for a Samaritan man. You know they ain't hiring Samaritan men everywhere. The Jewish man always trying to hold me down. She quickly kicked him to the curb and cried out, I just can't get no satisfaction. Perhaps she hadn't given up on love. Perhaps she determined in her heart that she'd settle for no less than a man on her level. Someone with a job at his own place of residence. Someone who can take care of her instead of her taking care of him. Perhaps it was at a cultural festival where they met and, and they could talk for hours and she was mentally stimulated and even he even had his own horse, the BMW 7 Series of the day. And he had a hand-built hut situated on 40 acres with his own meal and, and he was her one and he was her only. But the problem was she was not his one, she was not his only. She smelled the perfume of another woman on his clothes and she noticed how that woman in the marketplace grinned at him and she remembered that time when he called her by a different name and one day she came home early, she heard noises in the bedroom busting in like the FBI. She caught him in the act and cried out, I just can't get no satisfaction. Perhaps she said, I'm done. I'm finished with men. I'm tired of the emotional stress. I'm tired of being misused and abused. And then this man showed up and he promised to be different. He said, I've been through all the same stuff and I've got similar stories like you do. Uh, and, 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 and so he promised to be different and she gave him a chance and he seemed to be what she was looking for and what he was able to give. He'd be loving and understanding and giving and caring. By now, after four husbands, she probably had kids and he promised to be the father figure that they so desperately needed in their lives. But after she said, I do, he became jealous and possessive and he raised his hand and, and when she threatened to leave he promised he'd never do it again. When he did he blamed it on her saying if you just didn't make me so angry I could control myself and after finally being fed up with being someone's personal punching bag she gathered up enough courage to leave despite his threats to kill her all the while saying I just can't get no satisfaction. Perhaps in an effort to keep some measure of control over her life, husband number five refused to divorce her. But she, now older and afraid to be alone for the remainder of her life, enters into another relationship despite still being legally married. I don't know how it happened, but five husbands and one boyfriend later, she found herself unsatisfied. And it's here at this moment that Jesus shows up and breaks into the history of her life. And in many ways, you and I are just like this woman. 
there's something inside of us that longs to be satisfied. It, it keeps searching for ways to quench its desires. Unfortunately, some, for some of us, we spend the better part of our life chasing any and everything that seems like it will suffice, but we never find what we're looking for. Perhaps you tried to find it in money. Everything you do is centered around gaining an extra buck and you're always thinking about ways to capitalize and truth be told, no matter the status of your bank account, you have to cry out, I just can't get no satisfaction. Perhaps you tried to find it in education. You become a lifetime student and you always have a book in your hand. You've got multiple degrees and you're still trying to go back to school to study something else. You've got the best GPA of all time. You're the smartest person that most of us know. But truth be told, no matter how many classes you pass, no matter how many tests you take, no matter how many books you read, you have to cry out, I just can get no satisfaction. Perhaps you tried to find it in members of the opposite sex. You did everything possible to attract them. You fixed your hair just right. You're properly groomed. Your clothes are of the highest quality. You've been on multiple dates with multiple individuals. You've been in relationship after relationship. You've been married multiple times, but there's still something inside that's been left unfulfilled. Deep inside the solitude of your own mind, you're crying out, I just can't get no satisfaction. And it's here at this point in your life that Jesus sits before you and I like he sat there before that woman at the well. And he says, as long as you drink from the waters of this life, you will thirst again. But if you drink from the water that I can provide, the living water that comes from above, you'll become inside of you a spring of water welling up to eternal life and you shall never thirst again. See, believe me when I say that God has created a void inside of us that only he can fill. And the quicker we realize it, that we have this insatiable thirst for satisfaction to be quenched, and we realize that only God can quench it, until we realize that we're going to keep on searching and finding nothing but trouble. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that never shall one dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. When a woman finds the man of her dreams, she finds a man of comparable experience. She finds a man of caring expressions, and she finds a man of uncommon extroversion. I'm almost done here. If we had the pianist can come and play a little softly for me, and I'd appreciate it. In Ephesians, it's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, where the relationship between Christ and the church is likened unto the relationship between a husband and a wife. Christ is said to be the husband of the church, and the church is Christ's wife. But the church has been in relations with multiple partners. You and I have messed around with all sorts of things in order to find satisfaction. Greed and self-indulgence and covetousness, and then we move on to something else. Desire and passion and lust, and then on to something else. We started with one thing and moved on to another, and there we moved on to yet another. And the thing that we're now with is not our husband because we're not with Christ, the husband of the church. And today we as the church, the bride of Christ, need to intentionally go back to our one, our true, and our only husband, which is Jesus Christ himself. See, Jesus was the perfect man for this woman at the well. How do I know? 
because God's number of perfection is seven. <clears throat> See, God made the creation week seven days. No animal could be sacrificed until it was seven days old. There are seven I am's in the gospel of John that Jesus used when he spoke of himself. There were seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. There were seven pairs of clean animals that, received, that were received into the ark. Joshua and Israel marched around Jericho seven times, seven days, and then seven times on that seventh day. The priest blew the trumpets and then the walls came down. Elisha told Naaman to bathe in the Jordan River seven times to be healed of his leprosy. There were seven angels pouring out seven bowls on the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. There should be no doubt that seven is God's number of perfection. There were six men that promised this woman that they would give her the world. There were six men that said that I'm going to be your one and your only. There were six men that said I'm going to make you the happiest woman on earth. But six men failed this woman. They said they love her and cherish her and provide for her and grow old with her and make her happy. Six men promised and six men failed. But here comes Jesus, the seventh man, to show up in her life. Here comes Jesus, that seventh man that number of perfection. And Jesus shows up in her life and says, I can make a difference that nobody else can make in your life. I am the one, I am he. That's who Jesus was, that seventh man. And today that seventh man shows up before all of us. And he simply says, choose me today, for I am the only one that can give you lasting satisfaction. If you drink of the water that I can give you, you will never, ever, ever thirst again. I don't know about you, but I want that water. I want that water where all of these desires that God has put inside of me that only he can feel, that he fills them. If that's you today, I'm asking you to stand to your feet wherever you are. You're saying, Lord, give me that water. I want to drink of it today. God gives it to you freely. The perfect man for all of us stands before us right now. And his name is Jesus. Amen. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're praying with me now. Father in heaven, we all want to find what the woman at the well was given that day. And that is you. The only one that can fill these desires and satisfy our longings. Lord, we've been chasing here and going there, running all around trying to find what we never will find until we turn to you. So today we stand to our feet and our hearts cry out. Our hearts, our minds are open for you to come inside, to take up residence and to fill us. Fill this thirsting of our soul. Bread of heaven, feed us till we want no more. Oh Lord, that is our cry, our prayer, and our plea right now. So I pray that you would bless each and every one of us and that you would bless this congregation today that we would find you that seventh and perfect man the one of our dreams today continue to bless this congregation and their mission here in this area and in the lives that they are in contact with on a daily basis I pray that others would come to know this man Jesus because of your disciples and spokespersons who are gathered in this sanctuary and watching online today Lord we bless your holy name and we thank you for calling us receiving us changing us and bidding us to go forth 
and to live the lives that you have given to us to show to the world. This is our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. Let us all together say amen and amen.